Well, again, good to see you. No one saw me bring up my stand, right? You just were totally oblivious. I'm just kidding. It always feels like kind of a cheesy commercial break to say, like, we'll be right back. But I kind of feel like I should do that when we play those. But uh, this is kind of week two of winning the war in your mind, which is kind of like the ambiguous little teaser you just saw there. Uh, We're talking about how do we actually, because so many of life's battles are really fought in our brain, in our mind, how do we win the war partnering with God and seeing his spirit, his presence at work in us and overcome? Uh, Because so many of us, it's like a subconscious war that we're in, and we're even just trying in these next couple weeks together to take ownership and say, like, God, actually, you've given me tools and resources, and you want me to win the war in my mind I was talking about this with a friend earlier this week. He's like, have you heard of the backwards bicycle? And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, you need to check out. Look at look up this YouTube video, the backwards bicycle. And so I did, and I think it perfectly tees up like where we're going for this weekend. And so I'd love to check it out. It's about a minute long. You'll see it, and then I'll kind of explain where we're going. But check it out. Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, Right. But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam, and and I got really scared, honestly. I I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. Before I show you the video of what happened, I I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill, and I was really proud of it. Everything changed, though, when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses, and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Salem. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. And so the video goes on to share about how literally he travels internationally and shares, like has people try to ride this bike, offers them hundreds of dollars to ride it like 10 feet down the stage and they cannot do it. Like no one can do it because like he just alluded to at the end, his mind, your mind is in a rut for how you're supposed to ride a bicycle. And it's opposite of obviously the backwards bicycle that these guys created. Uh, Dustin goes on to share that it took him about eight months to learn how to ride this backwards bicycle. Like it just, his mind was so deeply entrenched in the way he was, thought he was supposed to ride a bike when he grew up uh, to the way that he learned it on the backwards bicycle. Scientists refer to this idea, the ability to kind of renew the pathways in your brain as neuroplasticity. Now, if, you, if you're smart, obviously, like you all are, like neuro means brain, like your mind, and then plasticity is kind of the idea of plastic, right? It's shapeable, it's moldable, you can bend it. It's a belief in psychology and even science that you actually can renew your neural pathways. You can kind of rewire your brain in a sense. Think about this, the converse of that, like the total opposite of what we're talking about is a disease like Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, what it does is slowly destroy your ability to renew your mind, to have new and fresh experiences. And so what people with Alzheimer's do, remember my grandmother suffered from this and eventually passed away. Uh, What happens is you just replay the ruts that you have in your mind. You just replay the 
the songs and the stories, or you think certain people are there who are not, you just retreat back, your mind goes backwards in, into a state of not being able to renew and not being able to live in new pathways. Again, he refers to this as ruts, as ruts in our brain. But I want to ask you a question. We asked this last weekend. I think this is a very, very important question to ask, especially if you want to win the war in your mind. Here's the question. Today, if you took a mental inventory and you were honest long enough, do you like the direction your thoughts are taking you? Do you like the direction your thoughts are taking you? Now, there's a tendency to, to live life so subconscious, it's hard to even answer that question. But let's just pretend that you answered it. And let's pretend you answer honestly, maybe like I had to answer this question. I would say most of the times, no. Most of the times, I don't like the direction my thoughts are taking me. They're either, either like reinforcing narratives I know are not true or buying into lies that I know are not true about myself, living out of kind of a false identity, whatever it is. And so if you answer no, maybe like I did, the next question you did ask, you're off the hook if you like that, but if you don't like the direction, here's the next question. Can you renew your mind? Can you renew your mind? Is it possible to renew and to create new pathways, new neural highways that are actually more aligned with truth, actually more aligned with who you are, actually more aligned uh, with even what God's word says about it? Now, here's what I know. You may be thinking, okay, uh, you preach the Bible for a living. What does a multiple thousands of years, multiple authors, historical document like scripture have to say about our minds? Like, they don't have neuroplasticity conversations like we have in our church, right? Like they're, they're not talking about that kind of thing. But you'd actually find it fascinating how much Scripture actually kind of precursors and affirms what modern science talks about when it comes to our minds. I'll take you to a key passage on this. It's a letter to the Roman church, a letter uh, that Paul, the apostle who was a Jewish elite, his profession was persecuting Christians. If you call yourself a Christian in the room today, or you're watching online, his job was to find you and to wipe you out, either your status or your actual physical bodies. This is the guy's job. And it's this same guy who on a highway on the way to a place called Damascus has an encounter with the risen Jesus, which we just celebrated a couple weeks ago, right? Easter, resurrection. And he meets Jesus. His life gets radically transformed. His mind gets fully reoriented, renewed, and he begins Instead of persecuting, he begins like proclaiming the name of Jesus. It's exact opposite of how you think the story's gonna go. And he begins writing these, he's under persecution himself. He begins writing to these Jesus communities all throughout the Mediterranean, all throughout the, uh, what was called Asia Minor at the time. It's places like Turkey and Greece and Italy. And he's writing to Roman Christians in these Jesus communities. And this is what he says in Romans 12, verse one. Therefore, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern, the, the ruts, the way of thinking of this world, but be transformed. This is an inner work. Be transformed by the renewing of your, say this with me, mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this is the result, right? The end of what we just read is kind of the outcome. 
if you offer your bodies a sacrifice, as you live holy and pleasing, as you are actually transformed in your interior life, your mind is renewed, it's then that you will get the clarity and the discernment and the wisdom to follow God in your everyday life. One of the most famous questions I get as a pastor for the last seven or eight years is, how do I hear God's voice? How do I know something is, not, is God and not really bad pizza? Like, how do I know what his will is? I want to know, like, is this my next career move? Should I go here? Should I marry this person? Should I make this decision? Should I parent my kid this way? How do I know what God's voice is? How do I know his will? And Paul is saying the renewal of your mind, the outcome is clarity on that. Here's the other thing it's easy to think. You read a letter like this, it's like, man, what a great theological statement Paul is making. But he's writing this to Romans, right? Like they don't, have, they don't have Facebook. They don't have political divides. They don't have racial tension. They don't have mental health struggles like I do or like our family does or like my kid does or like my boss does. They don't have any of these mental health struggles. Like they're way more unlearned than we are. Let me give you just a picture, just a glimpse into Roman culture If you follow Jesus, but you came from a Roman background, here are some of the ruts that you have lived with. Number one, you're on your way to work and you drive, I was gonna say drive, that wouldn't make no sense. You're on a camel or you're walking past a massive structure, beautiful, majestic, literally it's a Roman temple. And your workplace is like a couple streets down from this, but you're walking by And as you kind of peek in, you can almost see through the inner court, you can see people sacrificing, temple prostitution going on. You can smell and and, and almost taste the incense and fragrances of things being offered up to these Roman gods in these temples. Do you think that as a Christian, you're, you're battling a rut about who you're actually supposed to be worshiping in that moment? You've given your life to Jesus, but you've got a rut in there as a Roman person wrestling through who do I worship? Who really is king? Is Caesar Lord or is Jesus? If you're a Roman Christian, maybe you came from like a a service military background, you'd have a rut in your head when Jesus says his way is the way of peace. His way is reconciling all nations to himself. And then you have to to walk by a sign that says Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome, which literally meant kill as many people as necessary to get peace in your own neighborhood the violent way of the Roman culture that said, this is the greatest kingdom on earth. Everyone else we're going to wipe out. Do you think you'd have a rut about which way is the way to peace? If you're a Roman Christian who'd given your life to Jesus as Lord, and you, you have friends and family members and neighbors who every single week are sacrificing and worshiping and spending multiple dollars on sacrifices to these Roman gods, these emperors, these Caesars of the day, Do you think you'd have a rut when it comes to how should I spend my money? How should I spend my time as a family? How should we talk about what it truly means to worship like Paul says here in Romans 12? You maybe get home from work. You open your calendar app because Romans have iPhones. You open them or Android. Uh, You pull it up and you, you open your calendar app. And in it, your entire calendar app is structured around Roman festivals worshiping emperors, worshiping idols, worshiping other gods. This is how your life has been oriented. Even your calendar, as you put things down on things to do on Tuesday, you're looking and seeing festivals. Do you think you'd have a rut when it comes to how you spend your time? You'd be around people who were sexually unfaithful and slept with multiple people and yet 
thought that was okay within marriage. You, you'd go to a wealthy person's house and see a pornographic painting on the wall because this would have been a sign of high status. You think you'd have a rut when it comes to when Jesus says to be sexually faithful to one person, your spouse? That, that his design for sexuality is actually purity and integrity and wholeness? Do you think you'd have a rut when it comes to going to your friend's house for dinner? Like this is the battle in their mind. This is the war Roman Christians were facing. And yet Paul says to them and to you, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how we win the war. Romans 12 is affirming neuroplasticity. It's believing, Paul is believing that by actually spending time and repeating that time and getting in the truth that you and I can be renewed, that our minds, we don't have to live in the ruts created, we actually can be made new people in our minds and win the war. So let's dig into this for a moment. If you have a Bible or you have an app open, there's some words we're gonna interact with here, maybe helpfully for you to track along for later. One of the things I think is really interesting is in verse one, what we first read, is that Paul instructs Roman Christians and, and, and instructs us as people following Jesus today to offer our bodies as a sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, as like a living, breathing sacrifice. Not cows on the altar, but like you and I, our lives. Now the Greek idea here is not just offer one time. Don't just set aside one time. He's saying, do it continually. Continually offer your bodies. Offer who you are to God as a holy and pleasing sacrifice. This is the whole idea of time, setting aside time. Worship does not happen overnight. You have to actually dedicate time. Some of you have given about 45 to 50 hours a year to being in a space like this. You've set aside time to worship Jesus. It takes time. But the second thing Paul says here I think is really interesting. He writes in verse two, don't conform to the pattern. How do you not conform? He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, being transformed is also not like a magic pill overnight thing that can happen. Uh, Some of you maybe are physically fit or you're trying to get fit or you're trying to gain more muscle. Here's what you know, you're trying to lose weight. You cannot diet and work out one night in the history of your life and hope to get fit. Anyone try that model? I have tried that model. Surprisingly to all of you, it did not work. What I think is really interesting, I have a friend, I go to the gym with him and And he said something the other day. I was like, are you serious? People do this? He's like, oh, yeah, man. He's like, I'm feeling feeling terrible because Wednesday is my cheat day. And I was like, cheat day from what? He's like, well, I eat chicken, broccoli, and rice every single meal for the rest of the week besides Wednesdays. I was like, that sounds like a living hell. That sounds awful. Please don't make me ever do that, Jesus. Like Chipotle every day, maybe. But I can't do the chicken, broccoli, rice thing. It just would not work for me. And I said, we were kind of asking, like, why are you doing that? And he's like, well, it's like I've kind of figured out how to, like, fine-tune my own system, and this is the way. And he's one of the strongest, most fit, lean person I know, especially in his age. I'm like, man, you are, you are there. Like, you've arrived. And what I think is really interesting is there's a repetition to his meals. Like, it's not new. He doesn't come up with a new meal plan every week. It's like chicken, chicken broccoli, rice. What are you having for lunch, honey? Um, chicken, broccoli, rice. What are you having for breakfast, which I think is the weirdest one, but like chicken, broccoli, rice. Like, what are you making the kids for dinner? Like, I don't know, but I'm eating chicken, broccoli, 
and rice. These are repetition to his meal, his diet, that actually reinforces the time he is spending in the gym working out. I think that's really interesting. And when Paul says, be transformed, it's not like do it once. You don't get to say a prayer and accept Jesus into your heart, whatever that means, and then and life is over. He's saying you actually, every single day, you do the work. You open yourself to the Spirit's invitation to be transformed. It's, there's repetition to it. And then the third thing I think is really fascinating. Then you can read this through the whole letter of Romans, but this is why he says, therefore, he's pointing back to previous chapters. There's not just time and repetition. There's also the renewing of your mind, which the content of that is God's truth. Not just scripture, but the truth of the gospel, like the good news of Jesus, that ordinary people like you and me have been redeemed, rescued, transformed, set back to the way life is supposed to be in Eden. We have our image reclaimed in a way by what Jesus has done. And this is the truth. This is truth. It's objective truth you can hold before, you can cling to, you can meditate on, you can soak in. And that's really what Paul's giving us. It's, it's, I don't really give formulas very often because I think those are unhelpful. Here, I think it's really helpful. If you want to see your mind renewed, it takes time, repetition, and truth. Time, repetition, and truth. This is the way to renewing your mind. Now, all of us, as I said earlier, face ruts, though. We face ruts that, that stop and, and kind of want to block us from this true renewing work. But there's a big difference between like a rut, like someone said to me, uh, I think this was a couple nights ago, I was sitting with someone who, who's from our community, like, hey, did you know that your parking lot is bad? And I was like, it never occurred. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I was trying to be nice. I was like, I recognize that it's pretty rough out there. Like when you have ducks swimming in your potholes during the week, that's not a good thing. Okay, like I'll just put it that way. I said, yes, it, it's pretty bad. I recognize this. And I said, what's really interesting, though, is last year, and thank the Lord, just so you all know, next, I think June or July, they've scheduled a full redo of the, of the thing, not just like filling the potholes, but new things. So if you say amen during the sermon, this is your moment, okay? So amen. Thank you, Lord, for renewing the parking lot. But I, said, I, I started to think about that. I said, how interesting is it? And this happens in Michigan all the time because we live in a chaos, chaos of uh, infrastructure state. But as, as all these things happen, maybe you have this on one of your roads or you live on a dirt road, like you can fill those ruts in some way. You can fill the pothole, but you know what happens, right? Michigan is Michigan, and, and eventually next year, that thing will probably be there and maybe deeper than last time. It's like, how'd that get worse? But this is how our minds work too. There's a big difference between trying to fix the rut and make it more tolerable, like living with the sin and brokenness you have, just making it a little bit nicer, a little bit cleaner, a little bit better, a little bit more adaptable to your new life. Or you can dig a trench, which is an intentional thing you set up to actually wage war the right way. Some of you maybe are history people, and you remember World War, the World War I and II was kind of a, the real definition of trench warfare. I mean, so many times this is how they found themselves. But trenches weren't like accidental ruts that were created in the, in the countryside. Like there were people dedicated to digging these trenches because within a trench, you can do multiple things. You, you have protection from an enemy's attack in some way. You can get healing if you're hurt. You can actually fight from a better vantage point because your, most of your body is protected. You, you can eat. You see a couple of guys in this image from World War II, like they're sleeping in the middle of the trench. 
Like there's multiple things. Like a trench is actually a really healthy thing to have when you're trying to wage a war. It's the opposite of a rut, which is unintentional and often leads to negative things happening in our life. But what we get trapped up in is that we repeat the same patterns and narratives. Like what's happening? What happens when you feel that moment tomorrow morning is you recognize and you have an epiphany that you're living in a rut when God actually wants you to dig a trench of truth. If you don't believe me, have you ever driven to a place and forgot how you got there? Literally, I bring my daughter Lennon to daycare three days a week. Two out of those three days, I do not remember the drive, the drive there. I'm talking to her. We're listening to music. We're doing stuff. And I'm like, did I take 56 or 52nd? I don't know. Did I take Ivan Rest or Wilson? I don't really know. Did I take Byron Center? Do, am I going to my office right now? Or am I going home? It's like, I'm totally confused about that, but I somehow end up there. That is a rut. I'm in a mental rut because I don't even think about it. It's automatic for me. And this is how sin works too. You may have stuff in your life, you, patterns, addictions, habits, things that you wish were not a, attached to you, things that you know is not even God's desire for you to live within or, or, or have in your life. Sin really starts as a negative rut. Sin never starts as behavior. It always starts as desire, misordered, uh, broken ruts in our mind. This is why Paul's saying, if you want to overcome, you want to live the life God has for you, you have to be willing to renew and let the Spirit renew your mind. This is why the path to getting drunk is so dangerous, right? No one ever sets out at the night or at the wedding and say, I really hope I get totally wasted. I make decisions I didn't want to make. I say things I didn't want. I made a fool of myself. I don't even remember parts of it. I don't know anyone who starts out a night like that. But I know a lot of people who've got there because what happens is over time, those decisions get easier and easier. This is kind of brain candy for us. Like sin has a way of like hitting us with this effect of dopamine and saying like, keep doing that, keep doing that. And it gets easier. The rut gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And if you're not intentional or careful, you find yourself in situations like that you didn't ever want to be in. I've married a handful of people, done counseling with a handful of couples. Here's what I know. I'm sorry, my mom's laughing. I've married one person. I've performed multiple weddings. Thank you, mom. But what happens is I've never sat with a couple in like premarital counseling or on a, done a wedding day and someone's like, hey, I commit to you, I'm faithful to you, but there's a high probability I will cheat on you at some point. Like, you'd be crazy. You should back out of that marriage if that's ever happened. Be like, uh, nope, I'm good. I'm not, that's not for me. But here's what I know. I, I know multiple people who found themselves in beds they did not want to end up in. Why? Because sin, negative ruts get easier and easier over time. It provides a short-term satisfaction with a long-term failure and erosion of your character. This is how the war, the war in our minds work. No one I know is like, hey, when you're five, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a liar. Or I, I want to be like a, a gossip. I want to cheat on my taxes. I'd really like to like cheat on my t every test I have in school. I don't know anyone who starts out life that way. But when you find yourself lying to a group of friends to make yourself look better, cheating on a high school test, why why did you get there? Because sin, it provides this like short-term relief, but the rut gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And if you don't ever dig a trench of truth, and wholeness and integrity and let God renew your mind, 
you'll, you'll never overcome. These things, see, here's what I've learned in my incredible 30 years of life experience. I wanna share this with you. It's a, it's a nugget of truth. Sin makes us feel better in the short term, but sin always overpromises and under, under delivers because it, it is a quick hit. It's like brain candy for us. It's dopamine, it's boom, this feels good. It's a quick release, quick pleasure in the moment, but it's the opposite of renewal. See, Jesus wants to do a renewing work. That takes time, it takes repetition, and it takes truth. That doesn't happen overnight. Now, here's what, here's what I face. I was reading through this passage, even studying for this weekend, I was like, man, I can see myself in so many of these moments. Is this all just me? Is this like my battle with dopamine? Like, is this just on me? And here's what I've learned, and here's what I think Scripture affirms. This war is not just a you problem. It's not just you. You're not the only one. Like what happens is psychological studies show that we are bombarded with up to 500 intrusive or unintentional thoughts every single day. Now, I don't know where necessarily where those come from. You can call them the devil. You can call them your grandma. You, I don't know. Like you can call them yourself. You may even have self-deception that's at work in there. But 500, if, if those last, which most scientists say they last up to 14 seconds a time, if you multiply, this is quick math, around two hours a day, you and I in our minds spend with unintentional, intrusive thoughts. Do you think eventually that would have an effect on your life? 100%. And we all sit here, sometimes victims of those unintentional thoughts and, and losing the wars in our minds. We're incredibly weak at fending off deception and incredibly strong at living in ruts. But that doesn't have to be the way it is. Paul is saying there's actually an opportunity before every single one of us to be renewed in our mind. And you may say, yeah, yeah, you're, you're a pastor. Like, that's what you do for a living is get your mind renewed. It's got to be super easy for you. And it's true. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It is, it is difficult as it is for you, if not maybe more. One of the things that, that hit me, I was driving home, I don't know, about a, probably a couple of Sundays ago. Drove home. And uh, some of you know what it's like every single week to get up before a group of people and have people watching online and present a 30-minute talk and have people kind of judge you in, in their minds. Maybe you don't, but that's kind of some of the world I live in. And so I was driving home and felt particularly bad about like a sermon. Driving home, I'm like, man, that was not good. <laughs> like that was just, there was a lot of stuff underbaked about that. I could have done a lot better. And I begin to get into this rut of insecurity and, and inner criticism. And it messed with me. I was like, man, I'm, I'm supposed to be preaching on this stuff in a couple weeks, and, and I'm sitting here driving down Byron Center Avenue thinking, you're only as good as your last sermon. You're only as good as your last performance. And I started to realize, wow, I am insecure. I'm still insecure. Years ago, I was like, man, I dealt with that. I'm good. I moved on. And then there was this feeling of insecurity, this feeling of, un, of being not valued by God because I just didn't do a good job for him. There's a sense, there's a rut that I can deal with of, of insecurity or the, or the belief that John Gravett has sometimes that your value in Christ can fluctuate, which is actually a myth. It's not true. It's a lie. But there's a feeling like I'm only as good as my last moral performance this week. 
I'm only as good as the sermon. I'm only as good as, as how I helped this person or the, the word of wisdom I gave at just the right time to that, that couple or that friend. But it's not true. And so the only way to overcome that, because the trench is so deep, the, the rut is so deep, is to get the shovel out and dig a trench of truth. What does scripture say about that? Psalm 1 is one that I've, hold, I've hold, like held on to for a long time. It's what I think about, I meditate on, I try to practice. We read this this morning as our team prayed together. Psalm 1 literally says, the person who meditates, who sits, who, who embraces God's word, his law, day and night, they're like a tree planted beside streams of living water. I don't know about your vision for your life. I, I would like that vision. How do you get there? You dig a trench of truth. And for me, Psalm 1 has been incredibly reassuring and filling and comforting, knowing I, I may feel insecure. I may feel like my value is kind of going up and down. But what Scripture says is when I practice meditating on the truth, meditating on Scripture, I'm like a tree planted, firm, roots deep, visible to others that life is, is happening. It's, it's occurring because I'm planted by the stream of living water. And this is something David said last week, and I think it's true. Like, like the devil or even yourself, we don't tend to leverage like new lies and new ruts on ourselves. What we tend to do is find the ones that work and repeat them over and 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 over again. Like the formula for losing the war in your mind is almost the exact same for winning. Time plus repetition plus a lie equals destruction, spiritual death, erosion of your character and integrity. And winning the war takes time and repetition and truth, which renews your mind, which, which sets you on a different trajectory. Time plus repetition plus truth equals renewal. Now, interestingly, Christians throughout history have called this formula I just gave you meditatio. We get our word meditation from this. It's actually sitting, not reading for information, reading for transformation, reading for renewal. It's sitting with scriptures, like I just said with Psalm 1, and just reminding yourself of what is true. Who am I in Christ? What does God say about me? What lengths did he go to set me free from whatever the thing, whatever the rut is you're dealing with? It's actually embracing that for yourself. And not again, not just reading or taking study notes, it's actually sitting with, and for thousands of years, this is how Christians have practiced digging trenches of truth, picking up the shovel and meditating on scripture. Got a quick story and then we'll be done. I have a friend who I've worked with for a couple of years. I've known him for longer, but we've worked together for a couple of years. Uh, worked alongside some church stuff for, for a long time. And uh, he, we became really good friends. Like he and I have gotten close he, he knows some, some deep secrets about me and things that are internal. I've been vulnerable with him. He's been vulnerable with me. He, he prays for me regularly. He prays for our church regularly. Uh, I don't want to give his name like at the expense of throwing him under the bus, but it rhymes with Ryan Zoom. So Ryan Zoom is, is the person I'm talking about in this story. Some of you maybe know Ryan. Uh, Ryan at the time, Ryan has spoke here, ironically, but Ryan... Uh, he wanted to kind of share a story about this with us. And a couple of years ago, he was moving into like a new office space and trying to set up like, I'm 30, but there are moments I feel incredibly tech challenged. I don't know if you ever feel this way. I'm like, 
I have an iPhone because I'm not smart enough for any other phone. You know, like that's kind of how I feel. And so, so we're going through this story and he's like, so I get this printer set up. I've got my, my phone charger set up. I've got all this stuff. I have so many things plugged in. I had to have like a power strip. So I get this power strip. It's all plugged in perfectly. I sit down Monday morning, a ton of work before me and nothing will turn on. It's like the most infuriating thing. Like he's just sitting there. He's like, I did everything right. Why will this not work? And so like any tech challenge person, he finds a slightly younger, not tech challenge person. He goes downstairs to one of his younger staff and he's like, hey, I have no idea what I'm doing wrong here. I've got everything plugged in, everything set up. I cannot get it to work. So the guy graciously walks up the stairs, goes through his office door, kind of looks around, peruses for about 0.5 seconds and finds that Ryan has plugged in the power strip to itself. Plugged it into itself, right? I'm sure none of you are dumb enough to do this, but Ryan was struggling in the moment, okay? So, so he plugs it in himself, and so this guy slowly takes out the power strip plug and goes into the thing, and ta-da, everything lights up. It's like, oh, that was what I was missing. Everything works. Now, chances are maybe you have done that. I've definitely done that in a different way, but, but I think it's really interesting because this This power strip plugged into itself is the perfect picture of trying to win the war on your mind on your own. Everything looks right. It maybe even feels right. From the appearance, it looks like you've got everything figured out, but without truth, without meditating on what God says, meditating on your identity in him, meditating on the truth about what it means to, to go through difficult things and the promises there, what it means to to try to lead a life of integrity even when no one else is leading it in your business or in your workplace and what what God says about a person who lives with integrity, what it means to be a person of truth instead of lies and cheating and deception. If you hold on to those things, it's the complete opposite of a power strip plugged into itself. You have the power you need. The spirit is there empowering literally the renewal of your mind. And so the call, if you want to take a next step in this, is actually very, very simple. Some of you may even take me up on it. It's to meditate on Scripture. Not meditate on the lies, not meditate on the false narratives, not meditate on the the patterns of this world, but to meditate on truth. This is how we, we fight the battle. This is how we win the war. This is how we overcome. This is how our mind is set on a new path. I was reading this this week uh, for an assignment uh, for grad school, and we're, t- we're talking about this guy. His name is Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence is a famous monk, but often was kind of targeted because people really wanted to work alongside him, like up and coming monks. I don't even know if that's a thing, but up and coming monks, candidates to the to the monastery. I don't know, but they really wanted to be around Brother Lawrence. He was just a, a spirit filled person, a spirit filled leader. And so he, he writes some of them this cautionary letter. I won't read the whole thing, but there was this section of it I thought was really, really interesting. And I want to read it over you. Then we're going to take some time to actually practice what we're talking about together. Here's what he writes. He says, Please remember that I've recommended that you meditate often on God day and night during business and recreation. He's always near you and with you. Do not leave him alone. You would consider it rude to ignore a friend who came to visit you, then why neglect God? He says, do not forget him. Meditate on him often. Adore him 
continually. Live and die with him. This is the glorious vocation of a Christian. You could say that this is our profession. If we do not know how to do it, then we must learn it. This is what it means to be renewed in your mind. It means to live and breathe with the truth and the truth bringer. Jesus says over and over again, know the truth and the truth will actually set you free. It'll it'll renew your mind. It'll set you on a different path. It'll create a new trench of truth where there maybe was a negative rut. And this is the invitation for you as well. This is not for spiritually elite people. It's not for people who have perfect track record morally. It's for you. It's for me. And so I want to take a, just a sliver of time to pray. And then we're actually going to, the team has put together some scriptures, put together some songs to kind of wove them together. I want to invite you to engage that. But we're going to actually practice what we're talking about together. So would you pray with me? Father, we, we thank you that uh, in your presence is truth. In your presence is really what we need to win the war. And I thank you, God, that you've not set us out on just a better self-improvement project, but you've brought us into, into the very truth of scripture that says that when we know you, the truth, you set us free, you renew our minds. And in that, in some mysterious way, is all that you ask for. It's our surrendered sacrifice of, of, of us. And so we give it to you today in this moment. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.